Hello friends, welcome to episode 19 of Carlos Rios' All Ears. Today you're listening to a conversation with Russell Terrell. Russell had a highly prolific career as a backup singer, participating in around 23,000 records over a period of 26 years. 106 of those recordings became number one records. Some of the artists that he collaborated with include Keith Urban and Thomas Rhett. We talk about his career at length, from his start as a Christian artist to the health issues that led to the end of his career as a vocalist in July 4 of 2020. We also talk about the music industry in general, his faith, family life, and much more. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It's, it's an Absolutely. honor to have Glad you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad to be uh, here. It's, it's a, you know, I'm not much of a country listener myself, but I know it's an amazingly popular genre and it's been for decades. And, and it's wild for me to think that, you know, that you were able to work in so many of records in, in that industry for so long and that your voice is there and so many of them and people don't even know. Right. Yeah. Katie's it's out there. Yeah. It's out there forever. Right. I right. love that. Yeah. That's super awesome. And K- Katie said that uh, kind of your claim to fame was something like, and she says hi, by the way. Uh, hi, Katie. Katie does. <laughs> uh, she says that your claim to fame is that you could kind of emulate the singer's voice, voices, uh, and, and, almost kind of the point is for you not to be noticed as the backup singer. Like it's, you're just, you know, well, you're noticed, right. but it's not like, you know, right. you're in the background. Right. The goal is not to upstage, but right. to support and, yeah. um, uh, make the impact of whatever the artist was trying to get across. Yeah. Somehow without upstaging, yeah, you know, being heard, all the harmony notes and the background parts and everything, but but uh, the goal is to not upstage, but to support what they're doing and kind of make it hit even harder, so that if it's right, if it's re- if it's really happier, then you can make it seem even happier. If it's really sad, then you can make it seem sadder. If it's if it's angry, you can make it seem angrier. If it's you know, it's just to to increase, kind of to bump up, kick it up a notch or two, whatever the artist was was going for in the moment yeah um i don't know if you're able to to discuss but what are some songs that are like big hits in the genre that that uh you participated in well probably the biggest ones i mean there's a there's a ton (laughs) right uh i think uh i think i was up to twenty three thousand recordings and uh and 106 of those were number one records. 106 um, of 23,000 recordings. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Now that's 23,000 recordings. That's not 23,000 records that are available for purchase. Right. That's right. Uh, that's just all, all recordings. Could be a demo, could be a commercial, could be a movie, could be a, a, gotcha. uh, you know, a record that you hear on the radio or whatever. But some of the bigger ones would be um, Keith Urban, uh, uh, I think most people call it "Love Somebody Like You," but I think the actual title is "Somebody Like You." Mm. Um, that was a 
seven or eight week number one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more recent ones was um, uh, Thomas Rhett, artist named Thomas Rhett. That was um, uh, oh gosh, gonna lose the title. <laughs> um, we can come back to that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there've been there've been some big ones. Wow. Oh, it's uh, Die a Happy Man. Die, Die Happy, happy man, is, man is okay. the Thomas Rhett. And there's just honestly, I, I've uh, it, I when I hear him on the radio or when I hear him on Spotify or whatever, mm-hmm. I always know, I always know and remember that it's me. But a lot of times, even you know, uh, people would have to say, "Hey, what have you been working on lately?" And I'd have to get out my schedule and go, "Well, I've been doing it because <laughs> I <laughs> it was just because all day, every day, wow." Uh, or somebody would come up and say. Hey, do you remember that? Uh, remember that demo you did for me last year? And I was going, man, that was a thousand songs ago. I, I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, that's a lot of songs under the bridge. Wow, man. Yeah. So, so I know we discussed this a little bit in the past, but tell me a little bit again how because this seems like a very niche kind of thing in the recording industry world, right? You do, yeah, very. You, you did background vocals for you know all these people how, how did that come about like where did you learn it's like oh this is a possible path this is what i want to do or did you want to be the main line uh, artist or i did actually I, yeah. I moved to nashville to be an artist okay um my first my initial plan when i moved to nashville was to be a contemporary christian artist mm-hmm. and uh, uh once i got once i got here and kind of saw the ins and outs of that of that uh industry that field i decided well ultimately i decided that i wasn't called and i feel like anyone that's going into christian music full-time because of the pedestal that they're put on and the way that they're viewed by the masses that it that i you know i'm not going to argue dogmatically with someone but but my point of view is that you should be called to the ministry um, because you have such, you have the ability to be such an impact spiritually on those people that if you're not, you know, if you're not a hundred percent, if your doctrine isn't sound, if you're, you know, if your lifestyle doesn't, doesn't bear that out in real yeah. life, then, then I think you do more harm than good. And, mm-hmm. you know, scripturally teachers are he- held to a higher account right. than, right. than someone who's not a teacher. And, and I just feel like, boy, if, if you're just, if you're just doing it because you're a Christian and you're a musician and it seems like a logical fallback plan, mm-hmm. I think you can get in a whole lot of trouble. And I think you can do a lot of damage yeah. to people who, even if you don't view yourself mm-hmm. as a kind of pastor or mentor or teacher or whatever, yeah. uh, or shepherd, people still view you that way. And, right. and so it's a, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous position to be in. So ultimately I decided I was not called at that level. Mm-hmm. So I decided um, to try to be a, a shining light in the secular industry. And then I got into the sex start when I got into the secular industry, I think I found out that, that there were, there were believers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they were everywhere. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I didn't feel, you know, like all alone in a vast spiritual wasteland or anything cool. like that. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was rubbing elbows and working for people who were just as committed to believers as I was. And, 
I asked Katie, what do you think is the thing I should ask uh, uh, Russell? And she was thinking about the tarots and you guys are all men of faith. And that, at, you know, at least from our perspective, it seems that you guys really aim at adhering to the principles that are taught in the in the scriptures. And and, uh, and so we, we admire all of you greatly. And she was wondering, you were talking about making that move to the secular world um, of country music, and or I guess just music in general, the music industry. And she was wondering, did you ever have to uh, uh, draw a line with like certain songs and lyrics where you're like, you know what, I don't feel comfortable participating in this as if like maybe I'm condoning it or, or whatever, or or how did you handle those kinds of situations? Did they ever arise? Or Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, short answer is they did arise, but yep. surprising, you may be surprised at, with that many songs and 26 years in the business, yes. how seldom it arose. Right. Um, I, without elaborating, I will say that I felt I feel like there was one time mm. where I probably should have drawn a line that I didn't. Um, but there were there were a couple of there were a couple of times I got I'm going to be careful because I don't want to <laughs> throw anybody under the bus. Right. But there was, um, yeah. I, I'm just trying to feel trying to figure out how detailed to get here. Sure. Um, yeah, there was a couple of times where it was just language. Mm. Um, there was one time um, a, a very, very well-known songwriter, a multi-decade hit songwriter um, who I used to work for quite a bit. Um, I got a song to do, and uh, your audience may not realize, but that probably for the last 10 to 12 years, the majority of my work and and the work of most of my friends is done alone at home in your own studio. Yeah. Uh, We're not at a a big commercial recording studio uh, with a producer and an engineer like we used to be. Now it's kind of, they just send it to you and uh, you do it at home by yourself Mm -hmm. um, with or without direction from them. And then you send it back and turn it in. So anyway, that was the situation here. A guy, the producer sent me the, sent me the files to record in my own home studio. And I got this song and honestly, I don't even remember what it said, but it was, it was, it would have been deeply offensive to a Christian hearer. Gotcha. And, um, and this guy knew that I was a, you know, he knew that I was a believer. Most people that worked with me any length of time, it wasn't a big secret. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I agonized over it and, but I knew like I was just, my heart was beating, pounding. <laughs> I yeah. just knew I can't, I can't in good, in good conscience sing this lyric. Right. And, um, and so I was sweating, you know, beads of sweat pouring down my face and I called up the producer and uh, his name was Matt. And I said, Matt, dude, I- I'm sorry. Like I understand if you're upset with me, but, but I cannot sing this lyric. And, wow. uh, he understood pretty quickly. At first, he kind of went, <laughs> and then he went, oh, you're and serious. Like, and I was yeah. like, yeah, man, I can't. <clears throat> I can't. I can't sing this lyric. And he said, well, he said, just hold on. Just just hold up. And let me call the songwriter. 
And uh, I said, okay. I said, I'm not in a big hurry. I've got other uh, other songs I can be working on. Just let me know. You know, let me know what he says. But I totally understand if he wants to just hire somebody else. Not a big deal at all. Yeah. Uh, I knew it wasn't going to affect my relationship. Probably not even with the songwriter, but definitely not with this particular producer. So uh, he he hung up and he called me back. I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes later, he said, "Man, you're not going to believe this." And I was like, "What? What did he say?" And he said. He wants to change the lyric. Wow. And, uh, and I said, really? He said, yeah, man. He, I said, he wasn't, he wasn't ticked off. And he said, not at all. He said, he said, you know, especially with a country audience, which is all about God, faith, family, uh, you know, yes. uh, yeah. uh, patriotism, all that stuff. It's, yeah. you know, that's a little stereotypical for the country market, but a huge chunk of the market is. Yeah. And he said, if Russell is offended at that, then right. half of the country audience is also going to yeah. be offended. And yeah. my goal here is not to offend people is to have a hit record. Yeah. And so, uh, and so he said, it was like a pretty he, wise move. From yeah. So end. he, so yeah. he hung up again. He said, he's going to work on it and then I'll call you back and I'll say, I'll, I'll read you the new lyric and see if you're okay with it. So basically <laughs> I had veto power, you know, a very brief veto power over mm-hmm. this songwriter who had written, dozens and dozens and dozens of hits from the seventies forward. Yeah. Um, and he was not upset. He was, yeah. he appreciated that I was, you know, not just looking out for myself, but also by, by extension, you know, looking out for a country audience. Right. So I will say that there was one time that I feel like I had to draw a real hard line. And I will tell you that it ended up kind of being this, it was a whole record project that ended up being basically an evangelistic tool for what I would consider a cult. Wow. And, uh, and I, man, I was sitting there listening to it as, as I came in before I was ready to sing. Another thing your audience may not know is like, I've, before I get there to the studio, I've never heard it. I have no idea what I'm walking into. Mm. I've never rehearsed. I don't have music ahead of time. It's like you walk in, they hand you a lyric sheet and they press play and you start. And that's how it goes. So when I walked into this session, I had no idea what this was. And the engineer who was a close friend of mine and a believer turned around and looked at me when I walked in and he said, I hope you're prayed up. And I said, Oh man, what does that mean? (laughs) And he said, just listen. And the more I listened, you know, again, the Holy spirit was, pounding in my heart and I was going, oh, man, I can't, I don't think I can sing this. And so uh, I, I took the songwriter outside and I said, man, I'm so sorry to put you in a bind, but I can't, can't sing this. Yeah. And uh, he, same thing. He thought I was joking at first. <laughs> well, like, oh, wow. You're, <laughs> you're serious. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I understand if you're upset, but I can't. And um, I, I do think, I ended up losing work from that particular songwriter for the next couple of years. It was a couple of years before he ever called me back, but it was like, you know, God's faithful. I, I didn't, my work didn't slow down. I wasn't dependent on him for an income. And uh, so, I mean, really I can count on one hand in 26 years. Like in fact, all the three cases that I just mentioned that the time that I probably should have drawn a line and didn't, um, and then the the songwriter that changed the lyric 
for me. And then mm-hmm. the other one where I, where I wasn't able to do the same. That's that really, that's the only three that come to mind in 26 years. So mm-hmm. um, now I, I will also say that there was some language that I, that I wouldn't use in my everyday life. Um, but in most cases, it didn't feel uh, gratuitous. It felt in character, you know, Right. Like, for example, if you go see a if you go see a World War Two movie, mm-hmm. the soldiers in the movie are going to be using if it's a realistic movie, they're going to be using language that soldiers in the field that are right. getting shot at right. would have used. It's called that acting. Yeah, it doesn't offend me <laughs> right. because it's it's in service to the real story and the horror right. of what they faced. And sim- a similar way, you know, obviously not to that extent, but in a similar way, country music is kind of that way. It's a little bit of a lifestyle and some of it's kind of stereotypically redneck. And, you know, mm-hmm. so there were some things that while, while I didn't, I wouldn't have chosen to speak that way in my everyday life. It wasn't, it wasn't deeply offensive to me. Some, you know, whatever, whatever it was. Right. Um, right. So I, those, those were lines I never really felt convicted about. Yeah. Um, it was, it was things that had real spiritual implications or things that glorified sin to, you know, to, yes. too much or whatever. Those yeah. are the things that I tried to stay away from. Yeah, It makes sense, you know, to thinking about, you, you said that it's only a, a very small amount of, of times that you can think of encountering these things that like in principle were things that you're like, I can't, like, I can't do this, like in good conscience and, and really feel like the Holy Spirit is tugging at my heart <laughs> to right. not do it. Um, I really make sense to me that it's a smaller number of people considering what you were saying that this is, you know, the audience tends to be at least, you know, in, in big part, people that profess to be Christians and that might be offended by some of the things and that the right. songwriters had the insight to say, well, if he's offended, you know, then a good chunk of the people that listen to it might be offended too. And that's, that tells you that, you know, there's so much that plays into a song being popular. It's, you know, these people know what they're doing and they're trying to be in touch with their audience as much as they can. So Yeah, it's a job, man. It's uh yeah. It's it's a craft as much as it is a, an art. Right. It's it is an art for sure, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But it's also a craft and there's craft a lot of thought that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's very profound, you know, and it's kind of a a, a topic that comes up right now too in culture a lot with like all the cake shop stuff and right now with the website designer and all that. So right. I was wondering how you experience that in your field. So that's very interesting. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I had a follow-up thought on all of this and I'm trying to remember what it was. Can't remember. Well, anyway, I'm just so excited that you're here and that you were able to make the time. Um, again, we just really admire you guys, and uh, ah. you, <laughs> ah, you're, ah. <laughs> you were, uh, you were. I like make. I like embarrassing my the people that I have my guests because everybody, every person that I talk to here, I'm actually excited to talk to, and and I'm honored to talk to. So, um, definitely. Uh, who, who else? I talked to recently to, to Josh. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, Kelly's husband. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed talking with them. And same thing, it's like you know, I really admire you and all that. And you know, I, I guess maybe that's part of you know 
some of the qualities that I admire in people is that they tend to be humble about it. They're like, ah, or, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. So yeah. anyway, but yeah, I, you know, I guess, you know, one part that I, I find exciting is, you know, seeing you make it and in, in the music industry, you know, and have so many different kinds of facets and ways that uh, it can operate, you know, it's so vast. You can work in so many different roles and so many kinds of different things. And yeah, it can be a little really, overwhelming. I, I think I sidestepped your question earlier when you said, mm -hmm. well, how did the whole background vocal thing get started? We kind of got off on, uh, kind of right. got off track on that, but it, um, I think from an early on, I was like, uh, you know, these days people much younger than you don't remember liner notes. Um, like, you know, we used to buy first albums and then cassettes and then CDs. You know, if you opened it up, it would have who wrote the song, who was yeah. the producer, what, who the record label was, who the background singers were, who they the had, players They had were. this cool little booklets and stuff. Yeah, I remember getting cassettes. You would open it up and you yeah. had all this stuff in it, art and lyrics. And I, and, I yeah, always called cool. myself a liner notes junkie because I wanted to know, even in high school, before I even knew anything about the business or what the different jobs were or anything. Even in high school, like I wanted to know who that was playing the bass. Or if I, if the, yeah. if, if something really great in the instrumentation stuck out, I would want to know who that was. Like, who, man, that's a great drummer. Who is that? And I'd open it up, you know, and it's Russ Kunkel or, or um, uh, who was the guy, uh, Tris M. Bowden used to do the Kenny Loggins stuff. And, mm. and uh, or, I would want to know who that is singing the background vocals or who that is playing the mandolin or the bass and Leland Sklar or somebody awesome like that. And, and early on when I very first started listening to country music, which may surprise you, I didn't really come to country music at all until like late high school, very late high school. But when I started opening up those booklets, I started seeing the same names over and over and over and huh. over again. There was, Across fact, different artists and records. Well, it was more, it was more kind of, you would find that like uh, pop drummers tended to play on pop records and the guys who were singing on country records, you, like every country record you would open up, their names would be on them. Um, and, and they would be different, sometimes different than, there was a little bit of crossover, but usually different than the pop industry. But like I started noticing even in high school, there were three names that kept popping up guys in country music. And uh, it was Dennis Wilson, not the Beach Boys, Dennis Wilson, but a different one. Hmm. And uh, Curtis Young and John Wesley Riles. I kept seeing these names over and over and over again. And, uh, and in the back of my mind, I think I was like, how do you get to be that guy that you know, that somebody in Longview, Texas can open mm. up liner notes on album after album after album, cassette after cassette, CD, and see those same names. Like, how on earth do you get to be that guy? And then, you know, once I got to Nashville. Um, how old were you when you got to Nashville? I was 20. I was okay. 20 and a junior in college. So I ended up going three more years to college in Nashville, which ended up being a blessing. I, I ended up, you know, taking me five years. But it allowed me uh, three years to kind of begin to network a little bit and also to just kind of learn the language of the town. And what was your schooling and, on? What? 
It was agree? actually, believe it or not, it was actually commercial music performance. Okay, okay. Which yeah. is, uh, which I, it's just unbelievable that I actually ended up using my degree. Most people who get that degree don't end up using it, but, right. but, and then, so it allowed me the freedom to kind of get in and, and kind of learn how the town worked. And pretty quickly after, well, I had done to back up a, a hair, I had done a little bit of studio work doing local commercials. Mm-hmm. back home in Longview and Kilgore. And the fact, just that fact alone, once I got to Belmont College, it's actually Belmont University now, but when I got to Belmont College, just the fact that I had ever stood behind a microphone in a studio actually gave me a little bit of a leg up on some of the other students. And so I started working pretty quickly as a background singer for free because they wouldn't let you charge any money in the studio at the college. Um, started working for free for some guys that were, were trying to break into the commercial industry, meaning jingles, yeah. and, and also guys just working on production projects for different classes. And so that kind of already began to give me a little bit of a network. And then yeah. once those people graduated, and then I graduated, well, now they're working for money. And they can actually hire me. Yeah. And so the first, the first little bit of work I started getting out of uh, after I got out of college was all people that I had worked for in college. And then that just began to slowly snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball. Yeah. I moved, I moved to Nashville in 1984, mm-hmm. um, August of 1984. And, and I did not quit my last day job mm-hmm. until. September of 1995. Wow. So 11 years it took me to to let that snowball pick up speed and begin to gain. What would you say? You know, what would you say was like one of the main factors that led that snowball to build momentum? You talked about some of those early connections. Um, well, it's just. It, I think it's just. Really, I think it was just tenacity. I mean, obviously. Okay to make it at any level in the music business, there has to be a level of talent there. So right, I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to be so humble that I say, ah, I'm just a no talent. Nobody, you know, I can't sing my way out of a paper bag. Obviously, <laughs> obviously that's not true. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I won't say that I'm the most gifted either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I definitely have a gift for harmony and, and, yeah. and creativity where it comes to diff- coming up with interesting parts and stuff like that. But a lot of that was kind of learned on the job. And it was just the fact that I was not going to quit. And, mm-hmm. and also, you know, I, I've done several guest lectures kind of around this topic. And too many talented people um, want to think that it's all talent and that mm-hmm. it's all art and that it's just all ability and just like with plumbing or right. law law or or electricity or construction or you know teaching or whatever it's just not it's like yeah. you can have all the talent in the world and if you if you can't manage that talent mm-hmm. and and also treat it like a business right. it's not going right. to happen like so if you show up late if you're not courteous if you have a bad attitude Uh, and, or you get there and you, you can't help them stay on budget. If you don't, if you're not mm-hmm. conscious of those things, uh, it, it's not going to work. And I think I, 
I have always had a real weird combination of creativity and a kind of organizational linear right. thinking yeah. so that I'm very good at time management um, right. and I'm, I'm going to stickler about being on time and trying to treat people well that I feel like once, once people got to know me a little bit and realized that not only could I do the job, but I was also going to make their lives easier in the process. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when it yeah. began. That's when it began. The work began to tick up and up and up and up and up. Right. You're, you're perceived and, as a professional as not right. just the person that is able to do the craft, but someone that, you know, the, maybe the legalese around what you're doing or, or the business aspects of what you're doing. You can talk money, you can talk negotiation, you know, right. that kind of thing. And as, and you know, like, a, I found, uh, I I've done a couple of contracts, uh, doing video game music and people just are so at ease when they know, like, so I have a, you know, a little license, that you can uh that I will give you rights to to use the music with exclusivity and on your thing and it will be this much and, and they're like at ease and, and then I can explain to them what what the terms mean they're like okay yeah I'm good with that I, I agree or whatever right. versus it eliminates they're like, a lot of questions right versus I don't know like because nobody wants to get screw, screwed over right <laughs> so, right so and there's always that huge risk and wants to put all the cards on the table it kind of makes things a little bit more palatable for both parties, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the way. And, and when you're talking about, especially on records, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that's actually put out for public consumption yeah. on physical product or Spotify yeah. or whatever, yeah. it's, there's a lot of money. That yeah. is a, there is a lot of money kind of floating around behind you. It's like, yeah. especially when there's, you know, in 15 years ago when there was an engineer and a producer and you're at a, studio that goes for six hundred thousand dollars a day uh that clock is ticking right. and then you've got an engineer that's 75 bucks an hour and you've got a producer who's got whose time is valuable and and you know my my fees are adding up and it's like at the end of the day it's a lot of money and so if they yeah. if they can't trust you to kind of help them ride herd on those expenses if they don't feel like you're at least conscious of all those dollar signs, you know, floating out the window. Yeah. That then it, it's, uh, it's not, doesn't, doesn't bode well for you, you know, working for them again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you, if you don't mind me asking, uh, how, how did you structure your business throughout your career? Was it a, uh, some kind of a LLC, a corporation, a sole proprietorship? No. No, actually, it's um, all all of all work that's done. Anybody that I've ever known, in fact, that's done uh-huh. what I what I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it's it's all actually it's through a performers union. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's uh, to work uh, for hire. Then, no, it's not work for hire. It's work okay. that's done under a union contract. Oh, okay, um, union contract. Yeah, it's under a union contract. The union that has jurisdiction over vocal performances. For TV and film and radio and all that is when I started, it was called AFTRA, A-F-T-R-A, American Federation of Radio Television, Radio mm-hmm. and Television Artists. Now, AFTRA has merged, I don't know, 15 years ago with the Screen Actors Guild. I'm sure you're familiar with the Screen Actors mm-hmm. Guild Awards, SAG mm-hmm. Awards. And so now it's AFTRA SAG. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I 
when I showed up to a recording, you know, session, I would always have, you know, uh, I wish I had one here to show you, but it's, it's a little green and white, uh, single, you know, eight, eight and a half by 11 contract. And, uh, that the producers and the record labels were already, I didn't have to do another negotiating. Right. Uh, they were already signed to that contract. Even apart from me, they had already agreed to that contract before I ever showed up because all the record labels and all the major publishers and stuff had, had voluntarily signed on to that agreement. So I wasn't beating somebody up, forcing them to work in a way that they didn't yeah. want to work. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at the yeah, end the, of the, all the terms were un understood. Exactly. Always, and just yeah. like you were saying, yeah. yeah, there was that, that eliminated all the questions. Right. There was no negotiating about a price. I, I didn't get there and they're going to have, so how much are you going to charge me for this? Or, you know, or could, could, could we do it a little cheaper or, or whatever? It was right. like, no, right. the rate is the rate is the rate is the rate. And if you want to hire me, great. And if you don't, yeah. it's okay. It's, there's no, no hard feelings. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so that, that protected me in so many ways because, you know, even though I was in the business for a long time and people, especially in Nashville knew who I was and, and all that it's like to you know walt disney or sony records in new york or, or you know pick one i was still a nobody and i was mm -hmm. still this little guy living in the country in you know uh, up north of nashville tennessee mm -hmm. and so you know if i and this happens all the time relatively relatively often um well here's an example like uh, i don't know a year or so and a year or so ago Amy and I, my wife, mm -hmm. were watching um, the uh, uh, Jack Ryan series on right. Amazon Prime, right? Right. John Krasinski, Jack mm -hmm. Ryan, and um, and in the very first episode of the very first season, we were watching, and I was going, "God, why do I know this song? Like, I I know this song. What?" And then the longer I listened to this song in the background, it was like, oh my gosh, that's me. That's, that's a song that I, that I recorded. Yeah. And, and so after the, I wrote down, I, I immediately remembered the title and the artist. So I wrote it down. And after we got through watching TV, I go downstairs and got on my database of every recording I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I pulled up that artist and that title. And then went to my filing cabinet and pulled out the hard copy of that contract um, and <laughs> and then scanned it on my phone right. and I sent it to I sent it to the representative at the union and the next day she filed a claim on it and six months later I'll get a check in the mail. You know, but if if so if it weren't for them and if they weren't yeah. if it weren't for having contracts with the people who made those made that series, made that that mm -hmm. product. Yeah. What am I going to do? Am I, I'm going to call up, you know, John Krasinski's uh, <laughs> production company right. and say, John, buddy boy, hey, this is Russell in, uh, in Nashville. I think you owe me some money. Click. You know? uh, right, but this right. way, uh, it's, it's very business. Everything's above board. They know they, they right. know they, that they owe the money. And so that happens time and time again on movies yeah. and in commercials and stuff like that, where I would have no leverage. Yeah. So they, they function kind of like like a PRO, those for songwriters. Almost. Almost, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
almost. It's they're collecting money that the that the client already yeah. knows that they owe, but right. that would be difficult for me to cut through all the levels of bureaucracy to mm -hmm. actually get paid. Mm -hmm. And even with uh, SAG-AFTRA, um, it sometimes takes months, you know, or years. It's uh, yeah. there was a commercial once that I did on actually oddly that same artist. I had a, a song on that very first album that I did um, that got used as a Ford truck commercial. And, and we found out about it and we started billing them and it was two years, two years before I got, but the other thing is that that record, again, this was a year ago. So 2022 mm -hmm. and that record, I was the very first album I ever did. 19, 1994, 28 mm. years, I hear it on the television and I can send a copy of it to the union and I can mm. still get paid on it. Yeah. 28 that's, years. That's interesting to me. Uh, yeah, just thinking about that, like kind of what the PRO does is they kind of screen the performance right organizations, they screen for performances and things like that. But in this case, you were the one that was doing the screening and yeah, you noticed it. Like, yeah, is, what if you hadn't noticed it? Yeah. I wouldn't have gotten paid. Uh, unfortunately, paid, yeah. there is, yeah, there's no mechanism for, you know, a bell to go off somewhere when, yeah. when you should get paid. And so really, if somebody just doesn't notice it or if the, you know, in a perfect world and it, and it does happen, um, the, the record label or the television company or the movie production company, they're proactive and they, they come and find you right. and say, Hey, we're about to use this particular song in this particular yeah. movie. If they have good music supervisors. Yeah. Yeah. If they do, but a lot of times it falls through the cracks. Um, but because the club, this club that I was in is so small, mm -hmm. you know, I would be in a hotel and, you know, in Austin or in New York and I would hear a hot chocolate commercial that I knew for a fact was a friend of mine. And I would call my friend up and go, Hey man, I just, I'm in a hotel in New York and I just heard your <laughs> voice on a hot chocolate commercial. Uh, have you gotten paid on that? Or did you know about it? Yeah. And if they said no, then I would give them the title and the network and the product and they would go chase it. And, but more often than not, they say, yeah, man, uh, they already sag after already knows about that. And I've already been paid or, or it's in the works or, whatever but we look out for each other that way that's good and, um, yeah. yeah so i've had people call me and say hey didn't you sing on such and such and such and such and i'll go yeah that was me and they will say well i just saw it in a hallmark movie and uh <laughs> and so i go look it up and and uh, get online fortunately on the internet it's like everything is available like the information is out there yes so yes. It, it takes two minutes of clicking around on the internet and you can yeah. You can know the production company and when it was used and when the movie was finished, complete, you know, got completed, mm -hmm. all those relevant things. What would you use for that? Like IMDb or something? Uh, actually, yeah, I, I do. I have used IMDb. Sometimes also there's a wiki page for everything. Oh, and okay. and it's it's either got links, you know, corroborative links that you can click on. and Or like on that particular one, I went to Hallmark and... Mm. And it said, "Here's the here's the uh, movie and and the music by because you know, especially if it was a major artist, they had to get clearance from the label, yeah, right. So there's a record of it somewhere, 
Um, and so on the, you know, on the wiki page or on the Hallmark website, it would say this movie starring these people and with music by this artist, and this artist, and this artist, and this artist. Yeah. And, uh, and so that would kind of give me all the ammo I needed to, to go after it. Yeah. That's so cool. I like yeah, it's I, fun. I've uh, probably, I mean, I've been looking into music business for a few years now because I'm trying to wrap my head around it because, you know, it's, it's, it's intellectual property. So it's so complex. <laughs> so I've been, trying to, I've been trying to kind of understand that as much as I can with my non lawyer brain, um, <laughs> a little arts and crafts brain. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And then over the past year, I've been really kind of, I had a bit of a paradigm shift in my conception of what sales is and what business is and a lot of these money things are. And so part of the what caused it was reading, uh, uh, what was it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, mm-hmm. by Robert Kiyosaki and uh, other things like that. Uh, a few YouTube channels that I've seen. Um, on doing business as an artist and things like that. And it's so I've, I've also been trying and that I'm working at an accounting firm. So I'm trying to get familiar with all those things as well. Um, really what influenced me the most about reading Kiyosaki's book was his teaching of becoming a financially literate. Really. He's like, you need to understand accounting. You need to understand investment. You don't have to be a profound expert on all these things, but you need to understand them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, at some account- level, yeah. For accounting, sure. investing, business law. Uh, and there was another big one that he had in there. I can't remember what it is right this second, but oh, the markets, supply and demand, how, how that works. Because, you know, money means different things to different people. And we think that it's the standard that is a z- zero sum game kind of thing, but it's like, nope. It's money is is very complex. complex. Um, yeah. So, so I'm I'm been studying up on that over the past year, because you know I I've decided that I that Carlos Rios uh, in ten years is gonna be a wealthy man. So uh, awesome. <laughs> so it's gonna it's gonna take some you know doing some work. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe, uh, I'll be, maybe I'll have a lake house one day. It'll take uh, it takes effort for sure because it's not all of that stuff is very fun. Some people absolutely no. love it, but not all. Some of it's kind of dry and I and don't crumbly. I don't. I I well, one of the paradigm shifts that I had was thinking about business, and I always thought is you know you wear the suit, you do all the meetings, you do all that. It's like no, business is, is chaotic, creative. You know, you come up with solutions to problems. You know, from different angles and. It, it can be a really exciting thing. And I have that kind of mind that is very creative. And like what you were describing yourself as, as having that creative mind with that uh, like administrative angle to it of time management and, you know, being on time for meetings and appointments and things like that. Yeah. Um, I definitely have been, you know, I, I wish that I came across these ideas when I was younger. And at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe I wouldn't have been ready for them because I've always been very stubborn. <laughs> so, but <laughs> here I am now. Yeah, I'm trying to talk to to wise people like you uh, to 
yeah. to talk through these things. There's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, investing and stuff, that'll be a whole nother podcast. Right, right. That'll yeah. be a whole nother discussion. Yeah. So I remember now where I was going earlier uh, with the whole talking about you working with secular music. And I was saying that in the country world, it makes sense that it will only be a half, you know, a, a small amount of songs that actually you felt like you had to draw those lines of like, I really don't feel comfortable singing this. Um, but I was thinking like, I guess it makes sense in country because a lot of the audiences, you know, professing believers and Christians and things like that, more or at least conservative, conservative more kinda, conservative. They're kind of at least deferential to, you right. know, to the conservative Christian values, viewpoints. Christian values. Yeah, right. And, uh, but I was thinking that maybe other genres in the secular world would be a lot more challenging for someone that's a professing believer that, you know, now you want to break into the hip hop secular industry. And at that point you're like, yeah, ah, probably not. <laughs> not, <laughs> uh, not gonna yeah, work. I really feel like, um, I really feel like God protected me from a lot of that. There were, there were multiple artists um, that I sang on kind of early in their careers And as they got more and more and more known and got to flex kind of their own muscle a little bit more and demand um, to sing about certain things or um, certain subjects or whatever, there were artists that, you know, that I didn't have any problem at all singing on their early stuff. But, but for one reason or another, they drifted away from me as, as a background singer and I would hear it on the radio and go, man, I'm glad they didn't call me on that record because wow. I would not have been able to sing on that. I would hear it on the radio and go, man, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't get that call because it would have been very awkward. Yeah. Um, and to, to have as few um, you know, things like that happen. And, and honestly, there were, I don't think I ever had one single one that was on a record. It was all on something that was actually going to be out there uh, for consumption. Uh, every every case where I had to draw a line, it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, what what we call in the business a master. So it wasn't a master recording, something that's going to be released for public uh, out there forever. Uh, it was always kind of one of those behind the scenes kind of demos or or kind of custom project for some mm -hmm. so like that that church I was telling you about and. Um, so, but, but there were records that I worked on. I worked on multiple albums for a particular artist. And then yeah. after I stopped singing on those records, I would hear it and go, wow, man, glad, <laughs> glad they didn't call me on that Dodged one. Watch the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really feel like I was protected. Like right. God, God protected me from those situations. Yeah. I can relate too well to that feeling of feeling pro yeah. <laughs> being yeah. protected from bad yeah. situations. That's for sure. Um, so I, I don't know, uh, how comfortable you're speaking about, uh, your transition out of your career as a singer. Um, you, you've had some, I don't know what has caused your vocal issues. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about that and how? how it's progressed and, and where you are now as a result. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it's not an uncomfortable topic at all. Okay. Um, so 
You have to go way back. Um, I think, uh, so again, I started, I started singing on records in 1994, mm. um, moved, moved here in 84, started singing on my first record in 1994. And then I, you know, in 95 is when I quit, quit my last day job mm. and was able to start singing full time, put out the word that I was going to be singing background vocals full time. Uh, and about 10 years later, in fact, I can tell you it just almost to the day, um, May of 2005, mm. I started noticing that I was, and it was very, very, very subtle. I mean, like you couldn't hear it, but mm. I could feel it. I could feel that something was starting to change in my voice. Yeah. And um, I went to a doctor very quickly because it panicked me just, and again, I wasn't causing me to lose work. It wasn't causing engineers to go, hey, what's wrong with your voice? Uh, nothing like that. But it was yeah. just, it was You're, very you were subtle. So in, you were so in tune with it that you yes, were able very to detect in it. Yeah. And I just knew something was different. Yeah. So I went to a doctor and I said, okay. Uh, in fact, I waited until about, I waited several months, but I went to a doctor and I said, doc, like in May, something changed. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't even really describe it, but something changed and yeah. I need you to help me figure out what it is. Uh, and so I went through some tests and stuff um, and they kind of, this was just a regular ear, nose and throat doctor. And he couldn't really tell me anything. He, he said, man, you really need to go to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt uh, hospital here has a world renowned voice uh, center that mm. is, is dedicated to vocal professionals. That's wow. not just singers that that could be a teacher. That could be a radio broadcast guy. That could be yes. a singer. That could be anyone who uses their voice like like that for yeah, a living. Like a lecture constantly. Yeah. Pastor, maybe that, even. <laughs> that yeah, that's what they're yes. Yeah. Uh, public speakers, anything yeah. like that. So that's what they're great at. And they do, you know, they do therapies, they do surgeries, they have any sort of therapy that you might want and any sort of diagnostic equipment. So I went to them and they said, Well, we don't really see anything. I mean, your vocal cords look perfect. Um, there might be a little bit of evidence of acid reflux. And so since that was the only thing that we could kind of hang our hat on as, as a possible cause, I started just kind of investigating, you know, diet changes and things like that, that might help me uh, to not have acid reflux. I, I didn't know for sure that I even that I did have acid reflux, but that's what they said. There was maybe some evidence. In other words, I didn't have heartburn or any of the things that would normally be associated with acid reflux. So for the next few years, um, yeah. I tried to kind of investigate it from that front. And the problem kind of persisted. Again, not nothing. No, nobody noticed Nobody wasn't costing me any money or causing me to lose work or yeah. anything like that. But I noticed and it was my job. I just knew that my job was a little bit more difficult than it had been before. Mm. And so I waited until about, I tried to kind of self treat 
until about 2008. And finally, it was it got to the point where it was scaring me. It still yeah. wasn't causing me to lose any work, but it was right. I could see far enough down the road where I thought, okay, I'm not losing any work yet, and nobody's hearing it yet. But if this keeps going, right, it's a couple of years until people are going. It's going to be start to be obvious to people at this yeah. rate. Right. And so I went back to Vanderbilt again. Okay. They did a whole lot more tests, and they actually put me in vocal pedagogy, so a, a voice singing therapist, and also a speech therapist. Um, and we started down that road for several months and weren't really making any progress at all. And then my my voice therapist, uh, Dr. Thomas Cleveland, who is a, a giant in my eyes in the faith and in medicine and all that, um, mm. uh, just, just an amazing guy. Mm. Um, he said, Russell, there is a new therapy that we're seeing some surprising results with um, that I would like to try because we're just not gaining any ground with yeah. what we're doing. He said, it, it may sound odd, but I would like to refer you to a physical therapist. Hmm. Now I, I was like, really a physical therapist. What are they going to do? I'm, yeah. you know, I'm envisioning dumbbells and <laughs> right. sit-ups and, you know, yeah. and, and knee raises and stuff. And, yeah. and I couldn't figure out what that was. And he said, no, it's a, it's a technique called myofascial release, which is a very slow type of massage. Hmm. And he said, the theory is, is that, what you've been doing. And by that time I was singing eight, 10 hours a day, every day, you know, yeah. uh, five days a week, sometimes six. Yeah. So, you know, 40 hours, at least standing behind a microphone, using my voice in ways that your voice probably wasn't meant to be used. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I went to a physical therapist and I mean, they were even doing things like massaging inside my mouth. It's massaging muscles wow. in my jaw from inside my mouth and, and really everything from my shoulders up, neck massage, uh, facial massage, scalp massage. And the, what they were, what they were trying to get at is, is muscle tension that a lot of singers, even when you're doing it properly over the years, you end up creating such muscle tension mm -hmm. that it's not, it's not, um, you're not able to just release it on your own. You can't say, Oh, come on, man, relax, relax. Don't, don't yeah. tense up, relax. It's like, yeah. it's gotten so overused mm -hmm. and abused yeah. um, that it's almost like a permanent cramp and, yeah. Yeah. and your, your, your muscles have just risen to the level of demand that you've been asking of them for 40 hours a week for the past, you know, 10 years yeah. and it gets to the point where you can't just work it out yourself. So that's what they were doing. And it was miraculous. I mean, yeah. uh, oh. she even said like the first visit, she said in eight visits, there's going to be a marked difference in, in the way you're singing. And I think by 12 visits, you can stop coming wow. before she ever did anything. And, and that was exactly the way it unfolded. Like six, seven, eight visits in, I was like, holy smokes. How, how would man, you describe I, the difference like before and after? Like, it was, it was in the, 
that it took to create a certain tone or uh, okay. or or the to effort. hit a certain yeah the effort or okay. or to hit a certain note it was just much more i was able to kind of float into my high range without uh, without having to clamp down oh, okay and um it was just bordering on miraculous and within about 12 12 13 visits i was done mm. and really i credit they they basically bought me another 10 years wow. in the business yeah because this was 2008 uh, you said this right? was 2008 and right. and they even had me it's out there somewhere online if you want to go look it up on the vanderbilt website huh. there's you know you can actually see my vocal cords and they're talking to me about the, about the treatments and <laughs> all that and um so fast forward about i don't know probably 2018 maybe 16 17 i started noticing a little bit of it kind of creeping back in whatever that problem was i kind of noticed that it was starting to creep back in a little bit and i was able to mostly kind of tamp it down by by revisiting all the techniques that i had learned and um uh i even went back for some more physical therapy just kind of maintenance and um and it gradually just got a little worse and a little worse and a little yeah. worse until I started kind of panicking about it again. Yeah. And so I went back to the doctor and they, they said, well, Hey, this routine that we did before back in 2008 seemed to really work. So let's just start there again. Right. And, and so I started going, we I started back up with voice therapy, started back up with speech therapy and, and immediately went back to the physical therapist, same girl. Mm. And, um, who was by then the head of the department because this thing had started right. working so well, um, um, or the head of that division of the department. And, but we weren't getting the same the results. results. Yeah. And I went for months and at the end of it, um, the, the uh, physical therapist there, she said, Russell, I got to tell you, like if I walk, they call that, when when you when it's muscle tension that's causing you to not be able to create sound properly, they call it they call it muscle tension dysphonia. Dysphonia okay. means not phonating, you know, not being able to make. So that was sound. their diagnosis. That was their d diagnosis in the beginning. In the beginning, but okay. at the end of the at the end of the physical therapy treatment, she said, Russell, if if you line ten guys up against my wall, mm. and said one of these has muscle tension dysphonia, it's not you. Like we've done, I, like I'm, she's feeling the muscle tension again, like right. inside my mouth, outside my neck. And she said, this is not the problem. I don't know what the problem is, but this is not the problem. Mm. Um, so at that time, I mean, we, I was really starting to get worried. I mean, really, really worried. So Amy and I went to Italy for a couple of weeks and studied with um, a couple of renowned voice teachers over there. Mm. Um, and that was a great experience, but in the long run, it didn't end up, you know, helping me much. I tried ac acupuncture. I tried hypnotherapy, every, yeah. you know, every, um, uh, diet supplement, every version yeah. of, you know, every version of a different diet. You know, I tried ketogenic diet and I tried it. I tried, you know, still yeah. to this day, since 2007, I don't do sugar or caffeine anymore. I haven't done that for, oh. uh, you know, over a decade now, but, um, 
And so diet changed everything we could think of, every different doctor we could think of. And in the end, nobody knows. It's like you can still okay. look at my vocal cords and they say they still look like the vocal cords of a 35-year-old. Interesting. There's no, in other words, when you, most people think of vo voice problems, they think of nodes or, or, um, or polyps or, Mm -hmm. or you know a, a bulging blood vessel that's changing the way your vocal cords rub together um they think of all those kind of stereotypical things well there's none of that yeah. there's they look at they look at my cords and go wow your vocal cords look great they look healthy plenty of blood flow there's no there's no uh abnormalities on the edges or anything like that but they're just they just won't come together yeah you know if you uh to give you a little bit of an example of how your vocal cords work, or, and cords is really a wrong, that there's no a misnomer. vocal cord. It's yeah, a misnomer. It's, it's a vocal fold. It's actually two folds of skin that come together. But it's essentially what you would do if you blew up a balloon. Mm -hmm. And then, you remember when you were a kid, you would blow up a balloon and then you would squeeze the top of it. Yeah. You would go, <laughs> you know, with, right. the, with the air trying to escape. That's yeah. what your vocal cords do. Uh -huh. And in order to, to create sound... Like, remember when you let go of the balloon, it just went, you know, <laughs> but it wouldn't make a note. Right. It wouldn't make a tone. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. So in order to make a tone at all, your vocal cords have to come together. Oh, they have to, yeah. they have to vibrate sense. together. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's just air coming it's out. It's just air, yeah. And that's my problem is that my vocal cords, my vocal folds just won't come together properly anymore. So mm -hmm. that it's mostly air getting out and no tone being created. Um, Very and so really, I, and the doctor might disagree with me on this, but they don't have any better answer, um, <laughs> is that I think that really 26 years of singing, the quantity of work that I did, and, yeah. and really it was borderline abuse. Like some days yeah. it was, I would have to, you know, not sing on Saturday and Sunday because my voice would be just completely toasted. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so I, I knew that I was trying mm -hmm. to sing as properly as I can. I do have a voice degree and yeah. I know what proper yeah. singing is. I know how to take care of my voice and take care of my body so that my voice wouldn't suffer. But in the end, I just think 26 years of doing what I did, I, I think there's nerve damage that, yeah. that is just not going to, be repaired. Um, yeah. I have also since learned that, that some, you mentioned earlier about how I was able to kind of hide behind a voice and kind of alter the sound of my voice to, yeah. Yeah. to blend with and hide behind a whole bunch of different singers. Well, if you think about it, what that means is that for 26 years, I essentially sang like Russell 0% of the time. Mm. every note I sang when I, when I was a hired singer. So when I wasn't singing in church or just singing around the house or whatever, every note I sang as a professional, my voice was being manipulated and changed into somebody else's voice. And that that's unnatural. And you're, you're manipulating muscles and the shape of your instrument and the back of your throat and all those mm. things in order to accomplish the goal of, blending with somebody else. Yeah. And so I think your voice just frankly is not meant to do that. And, and I think 26 years of it just yeah. gradually to the degree that you did it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, some years, you know, a thousand, fourteen hundred songs in a year. Um, and I just think I just wore it out. I mean, I just, well, I feel and, like that's, that seems like a, like you can draw a lot of parallels in all kinds of industries, but just to stay in the music industry, you see that with a lot of players oh, that, for sure. that, that practice for hours and develop carpet tunnel or, or issues in the yeah. back and things or like nerve. That. I, I got a, a great, uh, uh, Grammy winning, uh, producer friend of mine, but he's also a, plays mandolin and, mandolin and, and bass guitar and stuff like that and his the nerve he's done nerve damage yeah. to his chord hand he can't play anymore right. you know and that's just from you know 40 years of of doing it a lot, <laughs> a lot and yeah. so yeah and you see it in pro professional athletes and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and any number of there just comes a point where your body just will not respond the way it used to respond or people that are on the keyboard you know eight exactly. hours a day like typing some transcribers or something like that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Data entry people. Mm -hmm. So anyway, to get back to your, that's a long segue into what you're asked about, but so I finally got to the point where my conscience was beginning to like really hurt me again. It seems, it seems weird today to say, but still nobody called me up and said, Russell, what's going on with your voice? Something's changed. Something's different. Why don't you sound the way you used to sound? Nobody called and said that. Not one person. And um, until the very, very, I will well, I'll say not until the very, very end. And in fact, when one person did call and said, man, I don't know what it is, but I cannot get this to sit in the mix like, it, like I'm used to being able to do it with you. Um, I, and I just wanted to give you a heads up. I'm going to have to hire somebody else on this wow. record. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's it. That's it. Like that was my, the signal. Yeah. That was the signal. It's like, yeah. because my worst fear. Was this was, someone you've worked with for a long time too? Uh, yeah. On and off. One, on one, off, one yeah. of my regular, really regular, uh, got producers, but it was somebody I worked with, you know, two, three, four times a year, every right. year, but not like month in month out. But I was like, dude, you have nothing to apologize for. Thank you for calling me. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't go into what it, what it was with him, but I just knew. Um, when was so this? This was uh, probably April or May of uh, 2020, COVID, wow. right, yeah. right in the middle of COVID. And um, so I, I talked to Amy about it and I said, I just can't in good conscience. I can't keep going like this because I was scared to death. Every time I turned something in, I was scared to death. Somebody was going to hear something wrong mm -hmm. or, or even worse that people were going to start talking and say, and even, I, I didn't even care if they talked and said, man, something's happened. Like there's something medically going on with Russell. I, I wouldn't have even minded that. My fear was that they would say, ah, he just doesn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And the, the the phrase they use here is he's just phoning it in. Yeah, he's not even trying. He's just relaxing and ah, if it's good, whatever. I don't care yeah. anymore. Like my worst fear was to have these people that I'd worked for for twenty five. Some of them literally for that entire time, twenty five, twenty, twenty five, twenty six years. Uh, think have even a tiny flicker of that thought that they thought I was not giving them everything I had. Yeah. And and when I knew I was at that point, 
where I could where I couldn't get around it anymore. That was the day I, I I told Amy I said I gotta I gotta stop, and so it took me a while to kind of start uh, thinking about how I was going to go about it, and I decided that four or five or six people that I worked for almost every week or, you know, a couple times a month, especially the big record producers. I, I decided I want to go and I want to have a sit down with, mm-hmm. with them because I want them to see it in my face and how, how devastating this is and, and how I would never have chosen to stop because there was, there was one, I won't tell you his name, but one, one of the biggest producers here that said, uh, I just want you to know if you ever quit, I'm quitting. <laughs> like if you stop singing back, if I can stop, he said, I, that I can't to count, you. yeah, he said, if I can't count on you to be there on my records anymore, I'm going to quit. And now he didn't, but the <laughs> fact that he even yeah. said that, oh, yeah. I, I, I just knew that over 20 years, I had become a very important part of their process, the creative process. Of course. And so I said, I owe it to these people to give a full explanation and for them to hear it out of my own mouth, not hear it from somebody else. And so again, right in the middle of COVID. So there were a couple of them were like, well, well you want to get, you want to actually come and see me? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, yes, I'm, I'll wear a mask. I'll sit however far we'll go it outside. I'll, <laughs> whatever you want, I'll do it, but I need to see you face to face. And so those people I went and met with over coffee or a hamburger or just that particular producer, we just, we sat outside on the deck of his pool mm. and, and they were all blown away. They, none of them had any idea, but I said, I, you can't talk me out of this. Like, uh, actually that one producer, the one who said that if I quit, he was going to quit. He said, do you feel like you can do anything at all? I said, there are a few things I can still handle. Mm-hmm. He said, well, until you tell me you're still my guy, and I'm going to send it to you first. And if you call me and say, I can't manage this one, I'll send that one to somebody else. And you can sing the one that you want to, that you feel like you can sing. And so we ended up doing one more record like that. And mm-hmm. I was able to, I think I was able to sing the whole thing, the whole record. Mm-hmm. But after that, I told him, I said, man, I, I can't. I said, I, that was just, you have no idea the effort in the, in the, in my peak, even working at home, I would, I would sing five masters. So five records that, you know, that would end up on a CD or whatever. Uh, I would sing four or five of those a day um, when I was working on records. And if it was demos, I would sing eight to 10 a day. Um, But at the end, because my vocal problems were so bad and I was so frightened that I wouldn't be able to get through a whole recording and then think that they were going to get it the next day, I would only book one song a day and I was struggling. So I would, I would spend six, seven, eight hours on one song. Whereas normally they would take me an hour and a half to two and a half hours. Yeah. And, and I had stopped charging by the hour, which we were supposed to under that contract and started mm-hmm. charging by what it should, the length of time that it should have taken me. Um, right. And so, because I didn't want them you know, getting an eight hour bill for something yeah. that should have only taken me two hours. So anyway, uh, and then ultimately July 4th, the holiday, July 4th of 2020, I sat out on my picnic table. You've been here to the house. So you know what yeah. I'm talking about on yeah. that big concrete slab. Yeah. 
Lovely. I sat out on the picnic table. Saw those little and, half moons during the eclipse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I sat out there and went through my, you know, I was still old school, so I had a day timer, my notebook. And um, I went through that book and canceled everything that I had on the book. And and what I felt at the end of that mm-hmm. day was relief. Good. Yeah. Uh, I, I had had, you know, three years essentially that I knew that day was coming. And I, I have gotten most of my grieving process done during that three years. Mm-hmm. And so when I made that last phone call on July the 4th of 2020, what I felt was more relief that I wasn't going to have to hide it anymore yeah. and that people would know and, and that I could look them square in the eye and said, I did the best job on every project you ever gave me that I know how to do. I'm not ashamed of anything we ever turned in, but moving forward, I would be like, I would, I would not be satisfied with the work I was doing. And I just, I want to stop now. Mm-hmm. I was, I was still, mm-hmm. According to, you know, some measures, I was still the top guy in, in yeah. Nashville. Um, I had won the vocalist, the background vocalist of the year award four years in a row at that point and ended up winning it one more year just because of all the stuff I had in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it felt good to go out at that point yeah. rather than with people whispering behind the scenes, going, oh, man, he's just not what he used to be or he doesn't care or whatever. It felt like a good time you know, to kind of hang it up. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you were, if your question was asking about kind of what comes next, but and, that was, and a, if that was is, the question. That's the question that I'm kind of okay, waiting well, to, to ask. So let me ask it. So what's yeah. next? <laughs> well, it's already happening actually. It right. took me uh, again. That was, that was July of 2020. Well, it took me about a year and a half yeah. to just kind of, I think, finish the grieving process and, Obviously, for the three years before I quit, you know, Amy and I were regularly praying like, God, I'm, I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to stop doing this. I, but I, I need to know, like, what's next? What's next? Yeah. And so, um, and maybe that was a selfish question to ask. Uh, it, was like, it wasn't like I knew he wasn't going to take care of me. Um, right. So maybe it was just like, you need, to, you need to just move forward and trust that I'll take care of you. Yes. And yes. stop worrying about what's next. I, I've got this, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I kind of wanted to know what was next before I quit, but it mm-hmm. finally got to the point where I knew that I had to quit before I knew what was next. Mm-hmm. But because COVID had already kind of shut everything down, it felt like a good time to be unemployed. <laughs> and, and fortunately because of, you know, 23,000 songs and, and a bunch of number ones and stuff, I, I do, earn royalties off of those performances. And so we weren't worried about an income at that point. Yeah. Um, Plus you can always watch another hit TV show and see if there's one right. of your songs in, in there. Voice, right. <laughs> Make um, a phone call. So <laughs> I just kind of took my time and found jobs around here to keep me busy, built a chicken coop and built you know, a, a walkway in our garden and helped out some friends and, and stuff. And I still kind of just really didn't know what I was doing, like what I was going to do. And a brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, Amy's brother, Todd, uh, knew that I had done quite a bit of uh, do-it-yourself handyman kind of stuff and mm-hmm. including electrical work. Um, he knew that I had wired uh, a house that Amy and I bought and then 
and remodeled for a, a local pregnancy center that we were on the, you know, we were founders of. And um, he knew I had had experience at that. And he had a house that he wanted to flip and, and asked me if I could come either do it or help them do it. And I said, yeah, man, I'll be glad to do it. And, but, but I'm not licensed. So um, uh, I'm not going to charge you anything and it'll be inspected and all that stuff. And, and so I did that. I wired that house up for him and the whole thing, you know, start to finish panel work and everything. And I remembered that I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed that part of electrical work. And then I don't know, uh, probably a six, seven months after that, uh, one of my pastors asked, he knew that I had done some of that kind of thing. And he said, would you, he was acting as his own contractor. And in Tennessee, you can do that. You can pull your own permits as long as you have them inspected by the property authorities, by the proper authorities, you know, before you move in or whatever. You still have to go through all the same procedures, but you can actually do the work yourself. Hmm. So he said, would you be willing to help me wire this house? Well, it ended up that I basically wired the whole thing. And, okay. and while I was doing that, I also, I needed some extra hands. And so I got a couple of kids from my church mm. and, um, and ended up not hiring them. I said, look, I'm doing this for free. If you want to help me and get a feel for what this work is like and learn something in the process, mm. great. I'd love to have you come and help me. And they jumped at the chance. And, oh. and so while I was there kind of teaching them to do what I was doing, learn how to pull wires, learn how to, you know, make splices and wire up plugs and switches and, and, um, and kind of the theory behind it. And, and they got to watch me do the panel and uh, understanding breakers and different size wires and um, different amperage and all that stuff. I was like, I really enjoy this. Like, it, and so the the tumblers in my little lock in my brain started kind of yeah. clicking over and it was like, okay, like I, because income is not the prime, it is a concern or, or I want to, I at least want to be bringing in some money, but it wasn't the primary driver. It's the primary drivers were now, is it something I would enjoy doing? Is it useful to people, especially friends and people within my church and local community? And I realized again, I re-realized how much mm-hmm. I enjoy younger uh, mentoring, especially younger guys, like high school through college age guys. Mm. And so I thought, man, I could, I could mentor somebody. I could apprentice and a, a, a kid in electrical work and, and I can do it on my own schedule. I can work basically by myself. I can charge what I want to, or I can do it for free if I want to. Mm-hmm. I can totally set my own parameters. And it started getting to be more and more attractive. And so, and by that point, it had been, let's see, 2020. Yeah, it had been like a year and a half. And I was... Since July I'm 4th, always, 2020? Yeah, since I quit singing. Yeah. And I... I'm always up for learning something new. And I was kind of curious as to whether I could tackle something really demanding and, and do it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'm going to see what is involved in getting my electrician's license. Cause I, mm-hmm. I if I was going to continue to do it, I also wanted to be licensed, do everything above board. Yeah. 
And so I started looking into the licensing process and found out that in Tennessee, at least, and in other states, some other states, there's a license called an LLE, which is limited license electrical. And with that license, I can do any kind of work I want to, residential, commercial, doesn't matter. There's just a dollar amount limit that I can't exceed per job um, because they don't want me calling. They won't. They don't want me calling myself an electrical contractor um, and getting into the big commercial jobs, you know, warehouses and convention yeah. centers and subdivisions and stuff like that. And so I thought that's really kind of all I would want to do anyway. Yeah. So I contacted my local uh, uh, electrical inspector and asked him, like, what would you do if you were me? And like, is there a course that I can buy? Is there a class I can go to? How would I study up and be able to pass this? Because it's a state exam mm. and not and not everybody passes it. It's designed so that most people will fail. Yeah. And so he said, he gave me the name of a, of a curriculum. So I purchased that. And then I found online, I found a curriculum that was like 99 bucks. For mm-hmm. unlimited access to all their online tests and videos, and and so I started going through those videos one one on one, and I and I when I when I had made over a ninety five on every single test, like if I if I made less than that, I would I would go back and study, and I would come back and take the test again. Wow. And so until I felt like I had that stuff going and coming, I um, knew I wasn't ready for the test, and so I did all that, studied, took the took the uh, the book curriculum that I had bought and all those tests and then the online curriculum that I took as well. And, um, it, I think it was April of 2022. Um, this past year I went and took my test, passed it. Hallelujah. First time. You're telling me that if you discipline yourself and you study up a bunch that you increase your chances of passing the exam. (laughs) Exactly. Well, (laughs) and, and honestly, it, there's a big part of that. That's just being honest with yourself. It's like, I could have cheated on those tests, but then that's not going to help me pass the real thing. And, and I knew that the goal was not just passing the test, but also understanding if I'm going to be an electrician and I'm holding live wires in my hand or the ability, at least the ability to hold live wires in my hand and asking people to trust me to wire up a home for them for their safety yeah. and all that. It's like, I want to know what the heck I'm doing. The big responsibility. Right. Yeah. I don't want to just pass a test, man. I need to understand what I'm, what I'm doing and, and be able to be confident that I'm not putting somebody in jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, fires start that way. and then Exactly. Like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, I can show you hor- yeah. terrifying pictures of some of the things I've seen now that I've uh, been an electrician, but yeah. so, yeah. So now I'm an electrician and, it's wow. I I kind of I kind of thought that it would be yeah. that I would stay kind of semi-retired, um, but it turns out yeah yeah it turns out that w- when you show up on time and you're nice to people and you do a good <laughs> job, they want to hire you, and so just like in my music work, it's like what, what are people, all those things so that I can remember? You do a good work, you show up yeah, on time, <laughs> show up on time, be nice to each, be nice to them. If you can do those three things. And call people back. Like I've yeah. I've even tried to hire subcontractors that that they never call you back. Mm-hmm. And so just the fact <laughs> I've had people literally say, the fact that you called me back within the fir- within 24 hours 
you've already got the job. You don't have to talk to me anymore. Like wow. you've got the job. Um, and so, yeah, so it's turned out that my part-time semi-retired job has turned into another full-time job. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's cool that part of what drove you to want to do that is you saw not just a, an opportunity to do something that you find technically fulfilling, but also you saw an opportunity to uh, teach uh, and younger kids and stuff. I mean, and I think it's cool, you know, because I think the the best teachers that I've had, and, I, and so I aspire to be this kind of teacher and I admire these kinds of teachers that in, in whatever craft or technical thing that they're teaching you, they're teaching you so much more. There's like, right. yeah, so like, I know you're going to be teaching, you know, uh, high schoolers and, 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 you know, young college kids about how to pull wires and all the intricacies that are involved with uh, being an electrician and that they're going to be uh, much more deeply affected than just that. Like, they don't just learn how to do that. So, yeah, I, know, I hope cool. so. Yeah, I'm and, sure they and, will. Uh, so far, I've, I've used and continue to use three different guys. And we have the best time. It's yeah. just very, you know, uh, and for them, I think at least the impression that I get, and, and I hope it's true, the fact that an adult um, who is paying them money mm. can also have a very friendly conversation, you know, a respectful conversation, but that I treat them like an equal yeah. and treat them with respect and and don't talk down to them like they're an idiot and I'm interested in their lives and I'm interested in what music they listen to and what their hobbies are and yeah. you know how the how the coding class that they're doing is going and or how the piano lessons are coming or any of that it just just to have an adult that's a friend mm -hmm. that that is someone other than your parents um that they trust yeah is I think it, it looms large in my life For, for you know adult leaders that I had whether it was church or scouts or music or whatever yeah. that I felt like I had the respect of this adult and that yeah. they respected me even when they were demanding a high level of performance out of me like a band director or something like that yeah. I could still have a friendly relationship with them and know that they looked on me as you know a fellow adult and right. I think it I think it causes especially teenage boys to it it makes them proud and it makes them want to be they it makes them want to earn that respect and it yeah. it puffs them up and and lets them be confident and and I, i just think it 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 uh yields rewards in every aspect of their lives yeah uh and if you're talking about spiritual things you know also in that yeah. mix which we always are at some point yeah and just all that together i think it gives them confidence to hopefully someday you know lead a family yeah. and what well, seems and, like uh, a like a beautiful future ahead i hope so i hope yeah. so it's a uh, it's interesting because I, i that's <laughs> that's not where i was expecting you were going to take things Um, what to yeah. the electrician world? Yeah, to some <laughs> other completely yeah. alien world, to the music world. Yeah. Well, it's the it's like every every facet of the music business is a different facet, mm. and so I just 
you know, while I still love, uh, you may remember that I, I was producing a, a particular yeah. young artist for quite a while. That's what I was thinking and about. Actually, I yeah. love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. And if the opportunity came to do that again, I, I probably would do it, mm-hmm. but to start over and to try to build up to that, uh, to being able to do that full time and make a living yeah. at it is essentially going back to 1984. And, and I, I would be starting it, yeah. again from the bottom, even with whatever credibility I gained or earned in all my years as a background vocalist mm-hmm. and being a part of huge records and film and commercials and all that stuff, even with that credibility, I wasn't known as a producer and or a publisher, even though I did, I, I do have a publishing company and I have been a producer for a lot of those years. That's not what I was known as. Mm-hmm. And so to gain that level of credibility in a whole new field mm-hmm. was just, you know, I just turned 59 and mm-hmm. frankly, it just feels like too big of a mountain to climb. I, I don't know that I'm willing yeah. to start. When did you turn bottom, 59? December 29th. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mom just turned 59 yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Close. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm knocking on 60s door and I just, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to <clears throat> kind of go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. And again, I love music. I will always love music. I will always consider sure. myself a musician first. Um, yeah. And I'm still, you know, right now I'm sitting here in my studio talking yeah. to you. I still love getting out here and messing around and producing some small things for friends or family or whoever. Yeah. But, but now I can enjoy it without the pressure of, you know, of it having to be a living. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, I think we can start wrapping up with this idea, but I, one thing that I, you know, again, the music world is vast and there's so many ways you can, go about doing music and the, the, what I enjoy doing the most is writing music um, from it's not from zero but you know from as little as I have and then coming up with something entirely new or original and and for for that matter I I've I like doing commercial stuff but that's usually a little bit more prefabricated there's certain formulas that work and certain chord progressions that you can use and all of that and creativity it's manifested in a different way in that world but i really like uh, writing classical music and doing classical arrangements because it's a little bit kind of like you can do anything <laughs> right really, no rules no rules there you know like there's the composers contemporary composers that well did not so contemporary anymore but you know like johnny john cage that you know yeah. wrote famously you know silence you know and he like had pages where people have to turn the page after so many seconds because you know they're playing a piece of music but there's our our forks and knives in the piano yeah uh, yeah, there's there's no rules that's the stuff that fascinates me and there's (laughs) it's so hard unless you go into an academia to build something business-wise out of that um but i i love it and i enjoy it and just that having that ability to to and i'm going somewhere with this i promise uh, <laughs> to s- just manipulate sound and, and and do awesome, fun, creative things, and you—they're like for me is like they become my my babies. And every yeah. time it's like, oh, this thing is so cool, and I love it. And I show it to someone, and they're like, ah. Okay. But <laughs> and but it's I've been there. 
but being in, in, in this world, you know, it's limiting, you know, because there's so many other responsibilities that you have to take care of. And Kitty and I are not even parents yet. And we hope to be uh, in the next year or two. Uh, and, you know, but even without that, there's been so many responsibilities as far as, you know, you have to earn money and pay for where you live and, and all these things. So I always like to think about that one moment when, when I, I am totally completely free in in uh walking in the light of of Christ and I now I have the freedom to actually write music because I want to write music because I find it as a as a deep connection between me and God right really like he reveals something about himself through that hunger that I have to make music and and it's like one day I will be able to freely worship him with that and not have any of the constraints of the world. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I don't know how, how deeply this applies to other areas of life, but with music, I always see it that way. Uh, like I, I always think of heaven and, you know, it is in scripture uh, written as uh, a place of worship and singing and hallelujah. And, singing, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I'm so ready for that. And I want to be doing that. And uh, I don't know, like uh, when you get your new body, uh, I'll have my uh, voice back. Yeah, <laughs> your voice yeah, back. I, listen, that yeah. that is so. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. I because I I I can barely sing in church anymore. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if you or your audience can hear the strain in my voice now, but mm-hmm. but it's I I almost can't produce a note anymore. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Uh, if I open my mouth to sing a pitch, mm-hmm. it's never the pitch that I want that actually comes out. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not an aural, A-U-R-A-L thing. Right. It's an oral, O-R-A-L. It's, I can still hear the pitch that I want. And I know that the note that my voice is, is creating is not yeah. that. So yeah. it's not that my perception of pitch has changed. It's just that my physical instrument will not do it anymore yeah cannot do it anymore there's a in music there's this connection between what your body does with what you hear and you know often with what you see and the music written down and you see the music and it tells your brain is supposed to sound like this and and then you send the signal to your body to perform whatever task you know play a thing on the piano or on the violin or sing it and you know if something's not right right oh yeah Yeah. it's immediately apparent (laughs) and so you know like I don't I, I will say I miss the music business somewhat, mm-hmm. but the main thing I miss is just being able to sing, to yeah. be able to express myself that with way. my voice. Yeah. Um and so yeah, heaven heaven is gonna be amazing yeah. just for that. Like <laughs> it's gonna be amazing in so many ways, but to yeah. to think that I'll be able to sing with my voice and and actually make music yeah. again is uh that's a precious thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Russell. This is again, a real honor. And, and I, you know, again, a person I really admire and I, I was really looking forward to this. Well, me too. I, we got, we love you guys and hope, uh, you don't have to wait for another clips to come see us. <laughs> What's the next one? <laughs> I don't know, but you don't have to wait that long. You can yeah. just come anytime you want. Right. Um, but yeah, I love you guys, and and I hope uh, I wish you all the luck in the world on your podcast. I'll be sure. And, Thank you. 
I've listened to several now that you have really that I knew okay. I was going. Yeah, um, and um, so, I have this one listener from Spain. I think it's one or two, pe two people just by looking at the metrics. I don't have that many listeners, but there's right. someone from Spain. I, I just want to say hi, person from Spain that's listening. <laughs> yeah, hi, Spain. <laughs> um, never been to Spain, but I would love to go. Right. But yeah, thank you for your, you know, your. I, I know just from hearing the podcast that you've done, I appreciate your curiosity and mm. you're like me, just want to learn new stuff and hear different people's different perspectives and I hope have too it, many hope loves. Well. I have yeah. too many loves. I have trouble focusing. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Well, this is a good medium for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. All righty, Russell. Well, thank you again so much. And uh, yes, we need to make plans to come uh, spend time with you guys. Yeah, we'd love to see you, bud. All righty. Well, All right, take thank care. Thank you again. Bye-bye. <laughs>